to the Holiday Survival Podcast. My name is Erin Billings and I am your host. The holidays can be the most wonderful time of the year or they can literally be the worst. My hope is that this podcast series will be a resource for you to not only survive this season, but thrive. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be sharing episodes on everything from how to navigate relationship challenges to how to set boundaries with family, friends, and colleagues. We will also be talking about how to find joy in new traditions and why prioritizing your values during the holidays is important. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Holiday Survival Podcast. Today's episode is near and dear to my heart. When I was going through the applications, choosing the different experts to be a part of this series, I instantly knew that this was something that I would love to discuss. As a woman in her childbearing years who physically cannot have a child, I know what it's like to go into a holiday family function and get questions around, when will you be having children? Or when are you going to find this man and then have a family? And all of those different kinds of questions. And every time it happens, it's like a knife goes straight through my heart. And I've had many conversations with female friends who also cannot have children. And they've had similar experiences. And so I believe that this is something that we need to raise awareness around. Infertility and encourage the childless women in our communities and let them know that they're not alone. So it is my honor to introduce you to our guest, Lana Manikowski. She is a certified life coach, founder and activist for infertile and childless women. Lana, thank you so much for being here. Please introduce yourself and let everybody know who you are and what you do. Gladly. Well, I first want to thank you, Erin, for inviting me and offering an opportunity to share this story because I know that There's a lot of us that don't talk much about this, and I'm hoping that this is an opportunity to let women know that they're not alone if the holidays feel different than they thought that they would. So yes, I am Lana. I live in Chicago with my husband, Jack, and our five-year-old fur child. You might hear in the background here every once in a while, hopefully not. We live in Chicago downtown, and a little bit about us and our story. So I married when I was 35. And up until that time, I was a very goal-driven person, somebody who knew that they might want to be a mom one day, but it wasn't necessarily something that I planned around. I was very much inspired by travel, inspired by career aspirations. And at 37, I was given the diagnosis of unexplained infertility. And just off the bat, being classified clinically as somebody who's unexplained, I felt like I was just going down this pathway of something that no one could really justify or or give me a reason for. And at 37 is when I started my seven-year journey to become a mom. And at the end of that journey, ended up never having a pregnancy and never having a child. So we can talk a little bit more as we go along about, you know, some of the roadblocks that I ran into emotionally And really, you know, just open this conversation up because I think there's very few avenues that women are able to tap into to hear the real perspectives of what it's like to be somebody who wanted to be a mom and your body just physically wasn't able to provide that. I can empathize with that statement. And I do believe that 
us having this conversation is going to impact many people. I would love if you could share with us a little bit about your infertility journey, you know, what treatments you may have gone through or, you know, some of the different avenues that you took to try to be able to have children that might help give us a little bit of perspective about how this kind of works. I started going at 37 to a reproductive endocrinologist, and that was really by my own accord. I went out and sought treatment because, like I said before, I didn't really ever plan for it. So I don't know that I necessarily had a healthcare provider ask me in my younger years if I was seriously considering it or maybe had a freight conversation about what an advanced maternal age was, but whether they did or not is irrelevant now. But I think I went into it seeking more help on my own accord through somebody who I knew who went through fertility treatment. So she got me in touch with her doctor and they did this battery of tests. As I said, I got this diagnosis. And then I started out with um, something called IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. And it's, it's less invasive, less medications, but something that is sort of like the first line of pathway if you're going into some sort of medicinal intervention in your in your treatment path. And I did several of those just hoping I felt like it was something that was more natural than IVF and from what I had heard, less invasive. But when that option didn't work out for us, that's when I moved on to IVF. And IVF is in vitro fertilization. And it's a very costly process and treatment. And I worked for a, a large corporate organization in the healthcare realm. However, they had a lifetime max of $10,500 of treatment. So wow. it was a big, it was a big thing for me to decide financially that I was wanting to take on that path. But my husband and I decided to pursue some other ways to get insurance coverage for that here. We live in Illinois. So we were able to get four rounds covered in Illinois. But again, me having to advocate for myself, me having to call around to insurance companies. And when you're dealing with a lot of this stress of managing your own health care, it just it felt like a lot to, to really start this pathway. So we went through some rounds here in Chicago. I had one round that we actually had an embryo that lived for five days. And that's kind of like the the timeline to see if that embryo is really going to grow into something that they could then implant and hope that it becomes a live birth. And I had one opportunity for that here in Chicago and it the embryo didn't take, so I never got a positive pregnancy test. And then it was about a year and a half into that process of trying. And I I just felt really exhausted. I felt defeated. I felt very like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Is this, you know, something that I can continue to put my body through? So I took a pause for about a year and a half. And then a friend, a different friend who had gone through IVF. I mean, there's so many of them out there in our lives, but we never think it's going to be us. Um, she was the one who encouraged me to maybe try a different clinic. So I went out of state for my next rounds and um, that was fully out of pocket. So we knew going into there that it would be well over $100,000 of financial investment. And then I went through some rounds there and had one frozen embryo from my first round um, that was you know, healthy enough to freeze. And then at the end of our rounds there, 
when that ended up being my only frozen embryo, they thawed the embryo and they were able to do some genetic testing. And that's an optional and an upcharge to test the embryo to see if it's healthy enough to implant. And with that embryo, it had something called trisomy 16. So there was a third 16th chromosome. And the doctor told me that if we implanted it, it just would never result in a, in making it for a full-term pregnancy. So that's where my journey, that's where my journey ended. And I know that was a lot of information, but I want women to be able to relate to my story because I think we rarely hear anyone talk about something that we can relate to. And the last thing, you know, before we move further into this conversation, there's a lot that the fertility clinics do for us while we're going through treatments. But my last conversation with my reproductive endocrinologist, he offered me the options of adoption or getting an egg donor and said, you know, call us back if those are good options for you. And we did think about those options for a while, but at the end of our decision process, we decided that neither of those options were the right options for us. And then that was my last connection to anyone in my medical treatment path. So that's where I was just left to navigate the journey alone to my childlessness. Thank you for sharing that. There's a few things that you said that kind of strike me. The fact that you had to call all of these different practitioners while you were going through IUI and then IVF, you're having to do all of that legwork in the midst of the emotional. I'm sure that there's a lot of emotions and hormonal stuff going on as well during that. It just seems like a lot. Yeah, it was. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I, I can't imagine... And But the thing is, is that I think any woman who goes this route is probably going through that same thing. Is there agencies for this or like, how does that work as somebody who does not know? Yes, I was not aware of them at the time and maybe things have expanded as far as access to folks like that do that type of work. So I am aware of some people who help you navigate the process But that's more I've seen internationally. There's some people that go outside of the United States to seek their their fertility treatments because of the limitations and cost here in the U.S. But I'm not personally aware of anyone in the U.S. that helps you with that. But I am internationally aware of someone who does that. It just seems like a lot. It, Especially it really in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, I remember being on the phone with someone I was calling around for insurance when we were at, in doing that work here in Chicago. And I remember crying on the phone to this woman who was, you know, simply like reading the, the options that I had through their benefit package. And I remember hanging up and being like, oh, she probably thinks I'm such a mess. But as you stated, like it's such an emotional time and there's, you know, medications that become involved and not only medications, but injections that you have to give yourself. So there's, there's just this whole path of things that you, at least I wasn't prepared for ever having to do in my life. And that's why I think this conversation is so important. Absolutely. I would love to know, and, you know, I try to keep things light on this type of podcast, but this particular topic There's really no light way to go about it. And because this really is an awareness piece, 
I would really love it if you could share some of the more common harmful statements that people make to childless women and what are the effects that they have on these women? I think that there is a lot of women who are are with children or have children that think that women like us, uh, women who are childless, not by choice, lead a sad life. So I hear people oftentimes when I tell them I don't have kids or that I went through fertility treatments and didn't end up becoming a mom, they tell me they're sorry. And they have this sort of um, like lean in kind of whisper, like, I'm so sorry. And it makes you feel or think that your story is pitiful. So I think you get a lot of that. I think that there's this part of society that thinks that we just aren't connectable. We can't connect. We don't have kids, so we don't understand. So you often hear that like, oh, well, you're, you're lucky you're not a mom or you're lucky you don't have to do this or you wouldn't understand because you're not a mom. And I think it gives off this impression that we're unrelatable or maybe missing on, on this chunk of life that other people are able to have. I also think that there's this understanding that we never fully feel love because some people will say, oh, well, there's no love like a mother's love or you don't know love until you have a child. And I believed that for a long time because I really believed that that was going to be offered to me only through motherhood. And I feel so fortunate that I've been able to do the work and have the experience that I've had to debunk that and realize that that's maybe in their mind, that's the only love that they can ever feel. But I know that there's so many experiences that I've had because I don't have children that have allowed me to see how much more richness there is in my life. And that's really the, the story that I like to tell. I don't want to repeat the story that makes people believe that they're in this confined box that life is always going to be at 80% because I'm a 110% type of person. And I want other women to know that that's possible for them, even if they don't have the children they always dreamed of. I love that. When this has happened in my own personal lived experience, harmful statements are generally accompanied by emotional and spiritual bypassing, which can be quite damaging. You know, comments like, well, if it's meant to happen, it'll happen in God's timing. Or there's the bypassing of, well, there's always adoption or foster care or, you know, somebody else trying to just throw out something, but it's, it's almost like they're disregarding your experience. Mm-hmm. How would you handle comments or how would you or have you responded in your own past? I like that you brought up the one about adoption because I think that's probably one of the most common responses that people say to you when you say you can't have kids, they'll say, oh, well, you can always adopt. And although I think adoption is a lovely option for people who are seeking that, I personally wasn't. And so when someone would say that to me, I would feel very angry. I would feel extremely violated, probably judged. And I came to realize through the work that I do and the work that I I do in my community with my students is I was really feeling violated because the narrative in my own brain was telling me that I didn't try hard enough or that I left options on the table or that I wasn't a good person because there are these children needing a home and I had a home and the financial resources to take one in. 
So when I chose not to adopt, I hadn't really done the work to realize that I was proud that I was able to make that decision, not only for me, but for that child. Now, adoption isn't like going to a store and just picking out a child. I think these children deserve to have a home that they come to that is wanting them wholeheartedly. And that conversation, I've done a lot of work on the you can always adopt response to me because I started to really realize like how angry I was getting at people for thinking that. So I think that's something that women can consider who might be listening here and are on that feeling of guilt that they're not good enough because they chose not to adopt. And I also think you talked about the, you know, sort of the faith kind of piece. And there was the time when uh, I went to the hierarchy of our church and I talked about our challenges and there was a special grape that you, you know, that came from this very religious monastery in Europe. And they got that for me, which was like a very special thing for them to be able to take for out of the country and bring to me. And there was a list of directions of, you know, you need to abstain on this many days and you need to, you know, do certain things and pray certain amounts of times a day before taking the, the tea and my husband and I thought a, a lot about it. And ultimately we decided not to pursue taking the grapes and making the tea out of the grapes. And I gave them back to our priest. And I had a lot of shame that I chose not to do that because I felt like I would be judged that I didn't have enough faith in this thing that supposedly had helped all these women get pregnant. And I did a lot of judging of myself that I wasn't a good enough Christian or that I wasn't um, spiritual enough to believe that that was the route for me. And I never had anyone come back to me and necessarily talk to me about it or scold me for not doing it. But I remember feeling very like, gosh, I must be a terrible Christian for not wanting to believe that this is what's going to create motherhood for me. Sometimes whenever we're dealing with faith, it can be such a challenge because realistically, I think you were following your intuition and following your gut and doing everything that you could do in that moment. And you made the best decision for you. It's hard whenever faith enters the picture because a lot of it is conditioning. I talk about this on my other podcast a lot is, you know, we've been conditioned to believe certain things. But also, I think that shame and guilt is a lot of the conditioning of the church as well. And so us not having enough faith, and I personally, that is something that I've been told a lot in my journey is, well, you didn't have enough faith for God to heal you. And I don't believe that's true. I believe that you and I probably have more faith than anybody could ever see. It's just, these things are hard. This is a hard topic. This is a hard thing, I'm sure, for you to live through. And one, I appreciate you sharing that story. I think it is a beautiful story, but it's just hard. Like, this is not an easy thing. And I know a lot of your work right now is so much focused on helping childless couples and childless women to feel fulfilled without the children that they'd envisioned for their future. And, 
you know, up until now, we've been talking about a lot of the challenges, but how do we get over that hurdle? How do we get over that hump of, okay, this is where I am. I recognize that this is not a possibility for me, but how do I get to the place where I can find my joy, especially in a time like the holidays, whenever it's a possibility that somebody's going to be asking me a question about when I'm going to be having children when I walk into the family function? Yes. Well, if I could just close the loop before we move into that about the faith piece and about not having enough faith. And this is, you know, certainly my opinion, but I feel like if you're a true believer, then you believe that your path is going the way that it should go. And so to question why things aren't happening for you the way that you thought them to be, to me, believing that your path happened the way that it did because it was God's path for us, that's what I'm choosing to believe about my path. Because the more I question why God didn't give me a child or why the church didn't, you know, pray for me or why they thought I didn't pray enough or whatever the case is, is really going away from the real thing that if we are believers that our life is already, we know what's going to happen for us or it's known. So I'm going along that path as a stronger believer because I believe that if I wasn't able to have a child or given a child, I now have this new amazing opportunity to discover what my life is really about. So I just wanted to kind of close the loop on that and, you know, sort of offer my perspective of how I believe as a strong believer, even if it didn't yield me the thing that I thought it was going to. So as far as about the holidays and the and the way that you can even start to create the change, because I think that's the scariest part is seeing maybe people like me, you know, I'll have people that have listened to my podcast or follow me on social media. They've told me like, I wish I could be as strong as you. And I think it's just a matter of realizing that it doesn't take strength to create your pathway. It just takes a desire to not feel the way that you're feeling if it's not the way that you, if you wake up every day and it's not the way that you want to feel, knowing that you have the skills and the tools available to you and just deciding that you're ready to explore a little bit. And I I think that some women believe that they have to give it time and time will heal. And, you know, there's, you know, my journey to freedom and happiness is just around the corner if I wait long enough for it. So I think it's the women who really know that they want to be high functioning again. And I started out the podcast telling you how I used to be a very goal-driven person. And after my fertility treatments ended, I felt like I was just very stagnant. And I didn't know that there was going to be much more for me in my future if I couldn't have kids. So recognizing that that wasn't the way that I wanted to feel and going out and and choosing to work with somebody. So for me, I worked with a life coach. I didn't really know much about life coaching, but it seemed like they were the people who were talking about creating this future for yourself and realizing that no matter what you've been through, no matter what limitations you may think you've had, that you can create the this pathway for yourself. And so I would say that it's just paying attention to how you're feeling every day. And if it doesn't feel like it's the way that you envision feeling forever, that the likelihood of that changing just because calendars flip and, you know, New Year's come, it's very 
unlikely that you're ever going to get to being this person that you want to be unless you decide that you want to invest in yourself and pay attention to the paths that are available to you. I love that. I think it's all in the mindset and that growth mindset of, you know what, I don't want to live like this anymore and I can choose my pathway forward. But see, we're not taught that, right? We're taught... Oh, if you try hard enough, if you work long enough, if you're the smartest person in the room or you're creative enough, like then you'll be able to create this life or have this dream that you want to have. But that's so complicated. All it really takes is deciding what is it that you want. If it's not a child, so take the children off the table. If you want to feel joyful, if you want the holidays to feel like there's a new beginning for you or new traditions that you can create with your partner or with friends and family, it's deciding like, what would that look like? And not saying, oh, I can't have this because my family always did this when we were a child or we always did presents or Christmas this way or we always had, and you know, yes, you know, you can create your own version of that, but how exciting to create a new version of that instead of constantly recycling something that seems so stagnant. Right. And it's much more in alignment whenever you do it this way. It's in alignment with who you are in and of yourself, which I think makes it a little bit more special, personally. (laughs) Totally. And I think there might be some people who are are worried like, They're going to disappoint family if they celebrate the holidays differently or if they choose to go out of town on Christmas with their partner and start your own travel traditions holidays. There's there's so many things that I think we limit ourselves from because we don't want to disappoint others or change tradition uh, or modify things. But when you're living in that past-focused way, you're really inhibiting yourself from exploring what it is that's going to give you the fullness and joy that you're innately desiring within. I love that. So we have our private podcast. What is your talk going to be about for the private podcast? So for the holidays, I I think it's so fun to kind of create your own new traditions and to understand really what it is that brings you joy about the holidays. And yes, there are people who think that they can't really feel the fullness and the magic of Christmas if they don't have a child to dress up or take them to see Santa or write letters to Santa. But in my opinion, the ability that we have to create our new traditions. So some of the things that people talk about in my community is understanding like, what does Christmas look like to you? Is it something that you can celebrate and have people, like for me, I love to host at Christmas since I don't have the kids and I don't have all the stuff going on. Like I love to have my house be the center Grand Central Station. So Christmas day, everyone comes by us and I get a lot of joy out of having our family members and their kids over and being the host. So that gives me a reason to still decorate my house and put the Christmas tree up and do all the fun things. There's some people who like to travel over the holidays. You get time off work a lot of times. So telling the family, hey, we're going to do a late Christmas this year. My partner and I, or, you know, if you're a solo traveler, 
go get a great deal, get, get on a plane. Flights are usually a lot cheaper, you know, if you leave on Christmas Day or if you leave like Christmas Eve, because most people are in their destination, hop on a plane and, and start to explore different parts of the world or different parts of the country. I think, you know, for me, that conversation is something that I've really, you know, taken from others that have, have tapped into that. And I think that sounds super fun. And I think too, you know, having your own traditions of, you know, driving through the neighborhoods and seeing the Christmas lights. Like there's a lot of people that do that with their kids. Like Christmas lights, to me, I love seeing people, you know, in my 40s, like I still love seeing like the beautiful houses and the decorations. So finding opportunities to find the joys in that and not just say, because I don't have kids, I can't enjoy all these magical moments that are created for us. So those are just like some of the highlight ideas of some things that I've heard talk about and some things that I do personally. But I don't, I don't think that women need to feel disconnected just because they don't physically have a child. And understanding like the the joys and the newness of the holidays can con consistently change. Right. So everybody out there listening, make sure that you go to our show notes. The link to the private podcast is in there. And also Lana's website and social media links, those will be in there as well. Lana, can you share with us how people can connect with you? Sure. Well, on social media, on Instagram, I'm at lana.manikowski. I also have a beautiful guide for, it's called the Guide to Loving the Holidays. And it's really, you know, a good framework for women that are maybe struggling around the holidays. So the Guide for Meaningful Holidays is the formal name for it. So that's also tagged in my link tree on my social media, or you can go to my website, lanamanikowski.com, and you can download the guide there. Wonderful. We will make sure to put those links in the show notes so that you guys could get it for easy access. But Lana, thank you so much for being here. This is such a meaningful conversation. And I know that there are going to be people out there listening that really appreciate hearing from you. So thank you very much. Thanks, Erin. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to the Holiday Survival Podcast. If you enjoyed the show and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Please leave us a rating and a review so that other people can see just how wonderful this podcast series is. We also have a private podcast series featuring our expert guests where they will be guiding you through this season with their patented methods to help you thrive during what can be a very hard time of year. To learn more about how you can subscribe to the private podcast series or for more information about our expert guests, please go to the show notes or holidaysurvivalpod.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful holiday season.